0: Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can begin moving to the New Testament and head to the book of Acts, and Acts chapter 6 we come to, as we continue to walk through what is really the unfolding story of the New Testament church, a church, our church, that is on Christ's mission, and as we continue to consider the reality of, of what the series is that I've titled for us here, The Power to Change the World. As we continue to walk through Scripture, what we will see is that those believers and we ourselves are a part of the same breakout of the gospel, that we are called to witness to the good news of Jesus Christ, that we get to see ourselves in the books, in the pages of Acts, and in our own world this morning, the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit manifested in the lives of believers who are on mission for the gospel, we get to see lives changed, not just temporarily, but eternally by His power. Here in Acts now, and in Acts chapter 6, we're going to see, again, this, the very first church, in some sense, the very first church plant like us, except this is the Jerusalem church, and they are experiencing here again in Acts 6, some very healthy, Uh, but challenging growing pains. They are dealing with internal sins and struggles, but they are continuing to be led and empowered by God's amazing grace, as we pray we are this morning as well. Because then and now, the church, we are Christ's body. We are Christ's bride. We are His people. He laid down His life for us, and by the Holy Spirit, He is making all things new He is making us more and more into His image, says the Scripture. And so Acts chapter 6 this morning, as we read verses 1 through 7, is really a chance to consider how God wants to make us, His church, His bride, more beautiful as He makes us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So let's read together now Acts 6 verses 1 through 7. The Bible says this, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's take a moment and pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love your people. We thank you that it is a blank check that you have invited everyone to come to know you in a life-saving, life-changing sort of way. And Father, we pray for all those who hear your word this morning that they might be invited in. And we pray for your people this morning that by your grace and by the Holy Spirit's continual work in our life, Lord, that you might make us a more beautiful church, Lord, make us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We cannot do it on our own, but by your grace and by your Holy Spirit's power, we can. And so we ask for that guidance and leading this morning in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Four ways then this morning from this text that we desire to see Jesus Christ make us a more beautiful church. Number one, right from the very beginning of this passage is this, a beautiful church does complaint and care well. A beautiful church does complaint and care well. And by God's grace, we can do complaint well. Notice that there is no sin attributed to this complaint. And that should strike us immediately because typically, and rightfully so, complaining is characterized by a spirit and an attitude of ungratefulness uh, or of selfishness. Um, But it is possible to voice a complaint and do it with a godly spirit. How? Well, we see an example right here in front of us. Notice that those raising the complaint did not exaggerate. Hmm. They did not lie, and they did not shift blame to anyone else. See, when we complain, we tend, in our sinfulness, to move to many of those options, if not all three at once sometimes. Instead, the way that these believers handled complaint was they chose to communicate. They did it in a grace-filled way, rather than another challenge that we often slip into is to just remain silent and hold a grudge. I'm not going to talk to them, and I'm not going to deal with this. I'm just going to stay bitter but we see a very different spirit here, the one that we can follow after. Furthermore, and this is really where I want us to see even more clearly, those who raised the complaint were also those who owned the solution. The members of the church didn't view themselves as consumers. The members of the church here viewed themselves as contributors. Two very different mentalities. See, because as we are aware, or if you're not aware, let me inform you this morning, the church is not a Walmart, right? The church is not Burger King because you cannot always have it your way. The church is us. The church is not me, by the way. The church is we, right? The church is not a building. The church is you and you and you and you and me. The church is us, loved by Him, filled by His grace, The Bible puts it this way, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, that we go out to serve in his name. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ, that we need every part of the body. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ, meaning his affection is in the same way that we understand the way that a husband ought to love a wife is the way that Jesus loves his church, but he does it perfectly. That Jesus works in and through every part of his people in order to change The world. And here we have the apostles who are filling the role that will permanently and ultimately be assigned to the elders of the church, and they too are doing it well. They are receiving a complaint well, which is not an easy thing to do. The apostles or the elders, uh, and we could do the same, they could have just kicked the complainers out. They could have just ignored them until they left. They could have found some sort of creative way to vote them out, or they could have split the church, or they could have just gone down the street and found another church, or they could have formed a committee to study the situation (laughs) without ever actually do anything about the problem. But instead, it's not what they do. They receive the complaint with humility, and they give a very immediate and an effective response, and it's one that utilizes the gifts Within the people of the body of the church. And so for us, not only should we, can we do complaint well, we can also then do care well. And it's important for us to understand what's going on here in this moment. There's a couple of words that we probably don't use in our everyday language walking around town the Hellenists and the Hebrews. The Hellenists are Greek speaking Jews, the Hebrews are Hebrew or Aramaic speaking Jews. Jews. They're all ultimately Jewish, but they have extremely different cultures. There is a culture collision that is taking place within the church. The Hellenists are those Jews who have been out of Jerusalem and been out of Israel for hundreds of years. And for various reasons, they're now moving back into Jerusalem, and they are finding that they are being treated as second-class citizens, and they feel uncared for by the other members of the church. And this would have been a very easy temptation for the Hebrew believers, the Hebrew Jews, to do because in that culture, the Hellenist Jews were already being treated as second class citizens. So often the world will create these distinctions and we find excuses and reasons to treat people differently and minimize their value or their importance to God, and in some way that was beginning to take root in the church. They recognize the problem, they raise the concern, and they ask for it to be changed. For us today, to be Christ-like, to be world changers is and always will be to go against the culture. It will be to go against the world and to swim upstream and to care for people of every group because Jesus cares for every group. They are very much taking their marching orders from what is Jesus doing? How would he have us live? We're told that the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Neglect. When I hear the word neglect, I, I process it in terms of child neglect. I hate neglect. There's a horrible thing when we think about children, when a, when a parent doesn't provide the love and the nurture and the attention and the relationship that a child must have. There is neglect. And here for these adult widows, it was the same experience. They were being overlooked and not being cared for. For us as a church today at New City Church, it is a reminder that we must, as a church, continually challenge ourselves to get past just learning names and faces, which is important, but it is a means to an end. And the end is caring for one another, not just learning names and faces, but learning needs and caring and loving one another so that when something happens to people within our church, we are the first means to take care of them and that we are a place where someone who is not in our church lands here and they find that they are suddenly being cared for, that they experience the love of Christ through who we are and what we do. So our prayer is that Jesus would continue to sanctify us as a church further, that we would discern complaints and care well for one another by His life-changing power. Amen. Number two... A beautiful church does leadership and delegation well. A beautiful church does leadership and delegation well. Verse 1 tells us that the church growth is a blessing and it is a challenge. It says that the, the complaint had an immediate effect because of God's increase of new believers, or the complaint was the result of God's increase. Okay, so this is a normal and a healthy church growing pain, that they are experiencing here in Jerusalem church. I tell people almost every day that New City Church is functionally a two-year-old toddler, but we are walking around in a teenage body. And you can imagine the challenges that that brings. And what I mean is that we are growing faster and doing more ministry as a two-year-old than we can sometimes keep up with. Or we are doing more than maybe a two-year-old child might be expected, but we are again a toddler. But as our church grows, by God's grace, so must the leadership grow, and so must the delegation and the discipleship of fellow believers grow to handle the growth of the body of Christ here in this local church. And so the apostles here, they teach us delegation and discipleship as the the means to which we ignite fellow believers in being able to more fully live out God's mission in their own lives. Guys, we need everyone using their spiritual gift or gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 among many places is clear that every single believer is given by the Lord at least one spiritual gift and that we are called to harness those spiritual gifts for God's glory and the good of the church. Um, Allow me to invent a word for us this morning. I'm gonna invent the word followship. If we understand what leadership is, then followship is the opposite side of that coin. It is when discipleship is taking place, there is one who is doing the discipling and there is one who is receiving the the discipling, the training, the delegation. I wanna talk to you about biblical followship and what this passage has to say us about that topic. Godly followship does not wait for someone to ask you To serve, but asks, Where can I serve? Again, these believers did not view themselves as consumers, they viewed themselves as contributors, and that was a part of God gifting success into this baby church in the book of Acts. Um, I have a three- or sometimes four-page Word document that uh, I use as my to-do list every week as it relates to everything going on in the life of our church, Um, and I like to color code things. Uh, So if it is, must get done this week, uh, it's green. If it is, this would be good to get done this week, then it's yellow. If it still would be good to get done this week, but it's probably not going to happen this week, but I don't want to forget it, then it is simply white. Above all of those uh, pages and elements and, and subpoints and so forth uh, is in the color blue. And there are three lines there that I put at the top of my page intentionally. I want to show you uh, on the screen behind me. These are the three lines that guide me as I approach my to-do list as your pastor. Uh, the first is personal worship first. See, in order for me to pastor you, Jesus needs to be daily pastoring me. Right? If he is not pouring into me, then what is pouring out of me will ultimately dry up and be not what you want or need, not what the Lord would have from me. So that is always first, and I need that reminder that before the tyranny of the urgent is Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. And certainly that applies to every single one of us in the room. But then below that, I've got two other reminders that are really for me. The second one is this: what my congregation needs to learn. What can I do to join the mission? What do I need to learn? Who can I delegate and disciple to do this? Think about it this way. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to us this reality, and Ephesians chapter 4 says that one of my primary purposes as your pastor or elder, they're interchangeable terms, is to equip you to do the work of ministry. Listen to Ephesians chapter four. This is a little bit longer passage. This is 11 through 16, but listen to what Jesus is saying to us here in his word. It says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Pause real quick. Let me just look at verse 11 for just a moment and tell you I am not an apostle. That's not me. I am not a prophet, at least not in the sense of being able to foretell the future as there were prophets in scripture who did that, Um, there are no apostles or prophets anymore in modern times. That era ended with the era of the apostles that we see here in Acts, and if someone tells you they are, they aren't. But looking here, what we have is the reality that pastors, teachers, shepherds, leaders, evangelists, etc., this is our job. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up "...from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." That is a beautiful picture of the church. And when we miss out on the promise here of of Jesus' vision for the church, we will tend to wrongly exalt a pastor or elder, and we will tend to demean the members of the church. We will unintentionally exhaust the pastor and simultaneously starve the members of the church. A beautiful church is one that does leadership well in submission to God's Word. So here we have in Acts chapter 6, the 12 apostles called all the believers together. This is the first congregational meeting ever in the history of forever. Forever here in the New Testament, and what they will do here in this moment is establish the office of deacon, which continues as one of the two offices of the church today, the other being elder. Now, their words are a little bit of a shock when we first hear them speak, and it should jolt you a little bit, and so I want to make sure that we clarify what's happening. The apostles together say it is not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. Let that sink in for a second. What is he saying? It's not right that we should give up preaching to serve tables. Um, It could sound arrogant. It could sound maybe lazy uh, or apathetic. But notice again, this statement is not being described as a sin here in Scripture, but as an example of godly leadership. They weren't protecting their rights. They weren't protecting their particular point of view. They were trying to solve the problem biblically, through discipleship and delegation. They say, pick out from among you seven men with biblical qualifications. So, these are ordinary believers, you and me, regular folks, but believers specifically with Christ-like character, that we can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in their life. We talked about godly fellowship. Godly leadership understands that the effectiveness of the church grows when other believers are empowered to use their spiritual gifts in calling. Christ-like leadership recognizes that they, or I, am not the savior of the church, but Jesus is. And when we as leaders try to usurp his throne, we will inevitably fail or burn out. Godly leadership understands that it is Christ at the top, and that as pastors, elders, and deacons are established, that their role is to equip the saints, all the saints, for ministry. Quick State of the Union address here, New City Church, Palm Bay, Florida, November 14, 2021, to the glory of God. Um, New City, as I told you already, is now two years old, and we mature as a church plant we pray according to what scripture teaches us so i am your church planting pastor uh, i am an elder but until we establish elders we are tied like an umbilical cord to our sending church or to our mother church covenant church here in pombay and their elders because i ought not to be alone 1 Timothy 3 gives us the spiritual maturity qualifications for elders and for deacons. That is very helpful passages for us. Furthermore, 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, Titus 1, here where we are this morning, Acts chapter 6, Hebrews 13... Ephesians 4, where we just were, are several passages that give us the purpose of the two offices of the church, that being elders and deacons, with the clear understanding that all of them serve in complete and utter submission to the King of the church, Jesus. In short, the role of elder is one of teaching, preaching, prayer, and shepherding the church. In short, the role of deacon is one of mercy care, evangelism, and service. Let me add here that in order to be in conformity to God's word, there must always be a plurality of leaders. There can, and there will not ever be one elder. Every place that we see the Holy Spirit lead believers to establish new churches, to plant new churches, they always establish multiple elders in a church, multiple deacons in a church. Why? because we understand the reality of sin, that that on our own we do not do well. Christ has not called us into isolation. He has called us into accountability and beautiful community. Uh, I will say for us, it is my prayer that New City will begin to train, disciple, delegate new uh, elders and deacons in 2022, That is my plan, we will see if it is ultimately the Lord's plan, but I'm telling you that is our next step as we continue to be a toddler teenager who is growing, and it is really the next step in us fully becoming an established church in view of what Scripture has taught us. In order for us to do that, there are many ministry roles that I, as your church planting pastor, currently occupy uh, in aspects of worship, aspects of youth. Areas within our serve teams that I need to delegate and disciple to many of you so that we as a church can t- continue to grow in leadership and in delegation. Number three, the beautiful church. A beautiful church does unity and diversity well. We get this shocking and amazing little nugget that comes in here in Acts chapter 6. Jerusalem church had what could have already been, right from the very beginning, the very first church plant, or church split in the New Testament. They could have done it this way. Well, we're of the Hebrew crowd. Well, we're of the Hellenist crowd. We think the apostles should take care of it. Well, we think that the deacons should take care of it. Well, we think the government should take care of it. Well, we think that the healthcare providers should take care of it. This is the stuff of a meltdown, fistfight, church split in any century. But do you see that the result here is one of unity? They didn't split. They really didn't even argue because they remembered that they are all one body in Christ, one bride of Christ, one family adopted into God's forever family. And so you see that they, they do unity well, but they do it in diversity. Did you look at that list of names? Not just Timon and Pumbaa, but the whole list of names. It's not very Jewish sounding, is it? There's no Moses in, the, in that list, is there? Seven out of the seven men who are named the first deacons have Greek names. That should be a striking reality that though the Hebrew speaking Christians were clearly the majority culture in the city and in the church, they appointed seven men from the minority culture as their servant leaders. And the qualification for those seven men was Christ like character. So, in a defining moment for the church, they lived and believed what would come to be written by the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I will not avoid or put aside the gospel. Rather, I will live by the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What are they doing? Well, they're applying the great commission of Matthew chapter 28. They are seeing a vision for every tribe, tongue, and nation being a part of the church. They're applying Jesus' promise that He gave us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that the gospel would go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, changing the world. See, they were experiencing in their own time and place a seismic shift. Not just that the gospel is moving out, but is, the reality is, is in a matter of a few short years, the Jews will reject the gospel and will reject Christianity. We will see that as we continue through the book of Acts. And Christianity will become a faith of the Gentiles. P.S., unless you are a Jew this morning, you're a Gentile. Gentile means everybody who is not Jewish If they had said, if the the Hebrew church had said, no, 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 we want to be first Hebrew church of Jerusalem. We're not interested in these Hellenist people. Not only would they have been denying and disobeying the direct word of God, they would have disappeared from the face of the earth in a matter of months, maybe years. They would cease to exist. What about us? In the United States, by 2050, non-Hispanic whites, that's me, will be the minority in the United States, accounting for 47% of the total population, with Hispanics being 29%, blacks being 13%, and Asians being 9% that will combine to become the majority in the United States of America. 82% of population growth in the U.S. from 2005 to 2050 will be the result of immigrants and their children. 82 percent. Nearly one in five Americans will be an immigrant by 2050. Here's what the Scripture has to say about that. Christ came for all of them. Amen? Christ came for all of them. In order to do biblical unity and diversity, I want you to see that the gospel is More than enough. That what the scripture has to say is more than enough. And I don't actually have to consult CNN or Fox. I don't actually have to consult Joe or Donald in order to understand the reality of unity and diversity in America today. Jesus has got it covered. He's got it more than covered. And so, whoever Jesus wants to draw to himself. Whoever we can invite, we will invite. Whoever the Lord draws, we will gladly receive. Whoever is in our city, we want them to be in our church because the gospel is for all people, for all time. And only the gospel can do it. Only the gospel brings unity. Only the gospel brings true diversity. And when we follow in Jesus' plan, we become a more beautiful church. Fourth and finally, A beautiful church does service because of Jesus' sacrifice. A beautiful church does service because of Jesus' sacrifice. The word deacon, if it is unfamiliar to you, comes from the Greek word doulos, and doulos means servant. To be a deacon is to be a servant, Veterans, we are incredibly grateful to you this week in particular because you made a conscious decision in various places and times in different parts of the world to make yourself a servant, to sacrifice your life, whether God granted it to you to remain or not, to sacrifice yourself in order to protect and love and care for others. And we are incredibly grateful for that. We literally cannot survive without that. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. Do you know that outside of the Holy Spirit in our lives, outside of experiencing Jesus' grace, we never really want to serve other people in our natural state. It is only when Jesus Christ enters our hearts and our lives that we can set aside whatever selfish motives there might be in there to say, I truly want to live and be like Christ. I truly want to serve you for your benefit and for Jesus' glory. So if you want to be the greatest, serve. That's an incredibly high ceiling. That's an incredibly hard calling that on our own we cannot accomplish the Bible speaks of greatness in a radically and completely different way than the world speaks about greatness, doesn't it? The world tells us that if you want to be great, then you need to reach the top. You need to have the most power. You need to have the most authority, the most money, certainly. You need to uh, establish a Fortune 500 company or you need to have a platinum album. You need to have a lot of people under you and you need to constantly push those people down to serve and care for your needs. That is success. That is greatness. And the Bible flips that on its head, doesn't it? Jesus flips that on its head, and he establishes what we could rightly define from Scripture as the upside-down kingdom. Jesus did not come and act in those ways. Jesus, the king, voluntarily came down. Jesus, who was and who is and who always be God, came down, we are told in Scripture, out of heaven to do for us what we could not do ourselves. Rather than pushing us down to lift himself up, he pushed himself down. He pushed himself down to death on a bloody cross for sins that he didn't commit, sins that I committed. He pushed himself down to death so that we would not have to die, so that in his resurrection from the dead that we might be lifted up to new life, that we might be lifted up to new hope, that we might be lifted up to eternity at home in heaven with Jesus face to face. See, Jesus isn't just the leader, he's the king of kings. He isn't just a good moral guy, he's God. He's the only God. And Jesus came to serve his people, to sacrifice himself and to die for his people so that they could live eternally. And when we sacrifice, it is only out of that great grace. It is only out of that great reality of what Jesus has done first for us. Philippians chapter 2. servant. He is the great deacon. He is the final sacrifice, and we need no other. He cared for us when we didn't deserve it. He leads by doing for us what we could never do ourselves. He brings unity by adopting us into a family that we didn't deserve, but He graciously has gifted us for all eternity. He was a servant unto death to save us, and yet He rose from the grave to love us eternally. It's by His gift alone that we are His church, that we are a part of His body, that we are His bride, that we are His family, that we are His covenant people. It is the greatest gift that has ever been given. And a great gift demands a great response. What is our response to this greatest gift of Jesus? It is simply to accept it, to surrender. Say, Lord Jesus, I am tired of doing life myself. I'm tired of thinking that I can do things on my own. I'm tired of of burying my sins and trying to compensate for them. I'm tired of the guilt and the shame and the struggle. I'm giving you all of my guilt and shame, and I'm asking that you would give me your perfect life, your perfect life in exchange. And the answer from Jesus is always, emphatically, yes. The greatest gift of all time demands a response. Will you respond to Jesus' free offer of salvation today? And if you would count yourself a believer this morning, are you willing to continue to take up your cross and follow Jesus? By His grace, by His power, will you take up your cross afresh and follow Jesus and say, Lord, wherever you lead, I will follow. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whoever you want me to serve, I will serve. Wherever you want me to live and show love, I will live and show love because of what Jesus has done and continues to do every day for me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.